We lost our minds and put focus on materialistic things. We lost a clear sight of our potential and pushed it to the side. It's hard to be a rose when you are in a field full of weeds, judging you because you blossomed and bloomed and stood out from the rest. It's crazy that you're looked at as a threat when you walk around with a book in your hand, a pen and paper, and a higher purpose in life. But giving credit when you walk around with your gun and saying what gang you from. Yeah, I'm a rose from Chicago, looked at a little different, but it's okay. I'm going to use that and I'm going to rise from Chicago. What's going on? It's your boy Top. And I'm Todd, spelled T-A-T. And T-A-K, and together we are... T-N-T. Blah! You just heard a nice little excerpt from uh, Todd's piece. It's inspiring. It, it brings up a lot of questions for me, Todd. And you know, I just gotta ask you, because I'm feeling a little, little Tupac Shakur type of vibe from it. Uh, Rose that grew from the crack in the concrete. Let me know. Let me know. Is this some similarity in there? Is, is that was, was that inspiration for you to write this? No, it really wasn't. But um, you know the artist Tiana Taylor. I definitely know Tiana. So she had a song named A Rose, I think, in Harlem. So I kind of remixed and did A Rose in Chicago, and that's where it started. Okay, okay. So that's dope. That's dope. Okay. Well, I was feeling, I was feeling the Tupac vibe. I was, I might have been wrong. Okay. Pop. I love Tupac too, but I ain't, I ain't get it from him. Hey, shout out Pac. Shout out Pac and Tiana Taylor. So what made you write the piece then? What, what was, what really stemmed behind that to make you write the piece? I used to get judged for being smart or people would just say, oh, you think you're smart or you think you're all that because you got this and that. But for me, it wasn't that. It was just more like I know that I have the opportunity to do better and I have that intelligence to do better. So why not do better or just reach for greatness? Definitely. You definitely got to strive for greatness. Especially what was, you wrote this, what, towards the end of last year, high school? So what were you feeling when you wrote it? Like, what was your emotions? Did a certain situation or uh, old friend hate on you or something to make you feel like, hold on, let me address this issue. Let me know what happened. Mm, I wasn't angry, but it was more like, I got something to say. And me being tight, I got something to say. So it was more like, let's say, I was number seven out of my class, you know, not to boast, but they used to say, oh, you, how you be number seven? You're not even that smart. So it was like, why you hate them? Because, you know, I'm, I did that myself. You can't hate on somebody because we all got the same opportunity. That piece make me think about something. So it was this time, right, back when I was up in uh, grammar school. Uh, I, was, I was pretty good at grammar when it came to ELA, English, English language arts. I was, I was always good at ELA, and uh, I had a teacher named Ms. Hawthorne. And she she believed in me and my spelling skills. It was around the time of Keela and the B-Head came out and, and was in, at the top sales in the movie theaters. So everybody wanted to be like a Keela. And just so happened, I ended up getting into the, the school spelling bee through Miss Hawthorne. She kind of dragged me by my ear and, uh, and, and I accidentally won. We, she took me to, to the next stage and I won that too. I ended up going to sectionals, and my word to spell was haiku. During the time of me doing the the the, the spelling bee, all my homies was like, "You a nerd, and you funny. You just like a killer boy. You like a killer in the bee." So I'm I'm feeling like I'm getting clowned out. 
my homies ain't messing with me no more, so I'm the nerd and all that. So I'm, 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 I get up there, I just made the decision in my head, I'm about to end this spelling stuff right now, right here and now, and not noticing the severity of it at the time. I went up there and spelled haiku wrong on purpose and let, let Miss Hawthorne down. I put a Q where the K was supposed to be. I said H-A-I-Q-U. It is H-A-I-K-U. Looking back at it, I wish I would have kept going with, with doing them spelling bees because I could have really been like Aquila in the B. I might have been top speller of the year that year or something like that. And, and, it, and my life could have been way better. I, I probably would have had a very different experience of life if I would have just continued down that path. So that is something I do look back on and regret. So I have a special guest here. Not too special, but she's a podcaster. It's Mariah. Not Mariah Carey, but Mariah. Hey, Mariah. Hey, girl. Hey. So I would like for you to share your experience with being smart and having people talk about you because you're succeeding. Um, yes. So at our school, there were ceremonies throughout the year to celebrate our success. And at one of these ceremonies, I received multiple awards, but nobody really clapped for me. They talked about me in the in the stands. They were like, why is she getting more awards? Why she keep getting up? Things like that. And I found it weird because a lot of these people I've helped in class. And this one girl in particular, like, I even argued, almost fought with her, but I still helped her when she asked for it because I wanted to see her succeed too. She didn't clap for me and she didn't cheer me on how I was doing every single person in that stand. So how did that make you feel? I felt like an outcast, felt kind of betrayed that all these people that I, that I spent my time helping didn't support me as much as I supported them. It felt weird, really. You just go betray somebody who helped you. Why do you think they did that? I would say a little bit of envy because I had a lot of opportunities. And that's mainly because I actually asked for opportunities. I went out, made connections with people, and opportunities were given to me. And they didn't do those things, so they didn't get the opportunities. I think they didn't feel like they were reaching their full potential in comparison to me instead of just worrying about who, what they were doing and succeeded in their own way. What impact did that have on you? I distanced myself from a lot of people. I stopped talking to a lot of people. I kept my friend circle small. I didn't stop helping people though. I feel like there's enough room, there's enough success in the world for everybody, for everybody to get at least a little taste of it. So what piece of advice can you give somebody going through the same struggles? I would say, be yourself. Don't live for anybody else. Being who you are will bring you the most satisfaction and happiness in your life. And my thing is, when, when, once you're successful, what they said not going to matter to you. Just keep doing you. Look, if you're a nerd, be the best nerd you can be. Thanks for letting me interview you. Thanks for having me. We met and talked with Marty Nesbitt. 
co-CEO of the Chicago private equity firm, the Vistria Group. Marty grew up in Columbus, Ohio, in a low-income community, facing similar circumstances as me and Todd. In our interview, he shares how he stayed focused and disciplined to achieve his success despite the odds. I think one of the things for young people is to, to treat that circumstance like you're trapped in a room with no doors and no windows, and your job is to find that hidden door, that hidden window, which is uh, the opening to opportunity and success. And so I think that's where I found myself, how I kind of work to find a way out. Have you ever dealt with criticism for your success? You know, I'm sure uh, there have, have been those who uh, wanted to be uh, critical, but I, I try to ignore so much of that and focus on the very short term. I knew what I had to do every day. I had to get up on time, I had to get to school, I had to do my homework and show up the next day for school and do the very best I can. If we think about the path as just one day at a time, one responsibility at a time, uh, living up to that obligation no matter what it is, learning all the words on a spelling test or learning the way to do a certain set of math problems, taking the time it takes to get it down and get it right, and just doing what you're supposed to do that day. That adds up to finding that hidden door. I mean, because sort of those, those incremental tasks is built the building blocks to looking up one day and saying, wait, I have a good education. I, I have found the way out um, of this circumstance. He also credits his close friend, President Barack Obama, for inspiring him with his optimism and clarity in always seeing a path toward success. That's one of the great things that I learned from Barack through our friendship is he has this sense that anything is possible. He just never let anybody's limited point of view talk him out of what he thought he could accomplish. And it's a very subtle thing when you're with them. Like you just, over time, detect this sense of possibility that is just innate, right? It's inside of him that he can do uh, what he wants to do and the world will uh, create a set of opportunities. And when he first told me he was thinking about running for president, I was like, oh, yeah, man, you can win. And I'm not sure a lot of people responded that way upon sort of first thinking about it. But I was like, oh, yeah, I see it. I see a path Now you can win from here. He also encouraged us to be confident and value how our own experiences and life count towards our success, especially in the business world. We bring a lot of unique perspectives and experiences to the world that you can only get one way. And that's sort of living the life that we've led. And there's value to that. The good example that I use is business, as you would define it, is optimizing a set of outcomes under a set of financial constraints, trying to make the most money you can while using the least amount of capital. That's what we do growing up. We try to optimize an outcome under a set of severe financial constraints. 
when you come from a modest background of poverty, uh, you have your life has been the prototypical definition for what business is. Take this example. You have a car, you got $20. You go to the gas station and you're thinking, okay, I got $20. I got to have gas, but I got to have lunch. I got to pay this bill. I got to do all this stuff. I can't put my whole $20 in the tank. I got to put five in the tank. I got to keep 10 for this. What they call that in business is just-in-time inventory management. I can't, if I don't have to have all of my products sitting in the warehouse, I free up money to do other things so I can keep growing the business and keep stuff moving. You do that, we do that every day. We as people need to have confidence that we bring something unique to the world that has value. Well, we appreciate this opportunity to speak with you, Mr. Nesbitt. It's been an honor to meet you, by the way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Honor, thank you. Man. And right. it's inspiring. It's inspiring. Well, you guys are you guys are inspiring. The sky's the limit. In closing, bringing you another great episode. I am Talk. And I'm Talk. Spell T A T. And T A K. And together we are T N T. Hey, thanks for listening to Complicating the Narrative Podcast, and we hope you like this episode. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and many more. Complicating the Narrative Podcast is brought to you by Contextos. Contextos uses the power of personal narrative to promote healing, reflection, and foster critical thinking and dialogue to provoke systemic change.